story had nothing to do with the sermon. <laughs> but Lord, we come in Jesus' name through his blood. We thank you for this time. We thank you for an open heaven and your glory here tonight. Lord, I thank you for the Holy Spirit, the precious Holy Spirit. Jesus says, better that I go away, I'll send the comforter. What, what a thought that the Lord would say it's better that he go. But Holy Spirit, we thank you. And, and Father, I thank you by the Holy Spirit moving upon every person that's going to be hearing this. And every one of us to get locked in and focused, to give the Lord our best ear, our full attention. We're not going to be distracted by things. Lord, I thank you by the Holy Spirit, help us to really get tuned in in our mind to focus on what is God saying and that we will be good soil of hearts and minds, anointed eyes and ears to be able to see and hear. Maybe what we couldn't before, but the Holy Spirit helps us. He's our teacher to learn the word. And this will go out as living seeds of truth sown into good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. We believe it. We expect it. Lord, I thank you for the winds of the Spirit carrying this seed out among the nations through the internet, etc. It's going to get where it's supposed to and accomplish what it's supposed to because the Bible says the word will not return void. But it will accomplish that which you sent it for it to do. We stand on that, but we know the birds of the air try to steal the seed. So all of us agree together that anything that would try to hinder this word in any way from getting where it's supposed to and accomplishing what it's supposed to, in the name of Jesus, we bind you right now, back off. And Lord, I thank you for your angels clearing out any hindrance. We thank you for it and we bless you. And I thank you, Lord, for speaking through me. It's living seeds of truth sown into good soil. Everything that needs to be said during this time. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray, we expect it. We thank you for hearing and answering every prayer meeting, every need. Amen. All right. Well, it's a little bit different sermon tonight. I'm beginning a series called Moving from Curse to Blessing. I would say in a very loving way and very humbly mean to say this, but that in America there's probably an extreme level of ignorance about blessings and curses. I don't think that most Christians have any idea what that even means at all. I think if you were to talk about blessing, I think a lot of them would think, well, something good happened to somebody. It has nothing to do with what blessings and curses are at all. Um, but we'll get into that as we go. But this is going to be a sermon that I contemplated just having for River of Life alone and not putting it for public consumption because in many ways it's personalized to us. But as I've thought about it, I really feel like the content would help the greater body. So unless the Lord puts on my heart something different, we're going to put this out for the greater body of Christ because there's many people that follow these teachings through podcasts, etc. A lot of people. And so I don't want to keep something from them unless I feel it's just specifically for you alone and nobody else. Then, of course, I would. But this is something I think will benefit the body. But let me just kind of get into this tonight, what God's laying on my heart. Now, this is not where we're going to end up. As I begin a series on moving from curse to blessing, there's going to be a lot of content during this series. This will probably be one of those extended series um, that goes on for a long time, okay? And just take our time with it, kind of like we did the book of Revelation, just take our time, not rush it. But tonight is going to be something in many ways that is very specific to River of Life. So how many knows when God calls somebody individually that his hand is upon their life and they're going to go through a process and they'll go through different seasons of life, different areas, different training grounds, 
uh, different people in their lives of significance, etc. But ultimately, their calling will lead them into a place eventually of going into their destiny and what God's really called them to do. Well, in the same way, God does that with a church. If a church is really the plant of God and they have a call and they're pursuing that in prayer, they're really a prayerful church, God's going to take them through some kind of a journey. And on the other side of it will be a promised land, okay? So we go through different seasons. So there was a, let me just kind of give you a modern day parable, just something that I think will fit this. So let's say that a father told, he had two sons and he told one of his sons, he wanted him to go look at this tree that's out in this field and it was just winter time. And so his son goes out there, sits down, he's looking at this tree and, I mean, to him, what's the point of looking at this tree? It's ugly. There's no leaves. There's no fruit. It's just there. There's, you see all the knots and bulges and bending branches. It just, he's there looking at it think, why in the world my dad sent me out? So he goes back and says, Dad, I have no idea why you sent me out there, but to be honest, that tree is just an eyesore. You know, maybe we should take an ax to it, you know. And he said, all right, well, so then springtime comes, and he sends his other son and says, I want you to go look at this tree. His other son gets out there, and this tree now in springtime is beautiful, full of leaves, full of fruit, beautiful. And his son goes back and says, wow, that tree is really amazing, and it produces a lot of fruit, and is a real blessing to our family. And so the point of that is this. We all go through seasons. And sometimes people will see you in a winter season that you're in, and they may think, wow, you know, that person's really, I don't know about them, you know. But once they get through that and they come into their springtime, God, see, a lot of times God will put us through the winter. He'll put us through like a wilderness time. And all the, the ugly stuff that's in everybody, all that ugly stuff that needs to be dealt with that's literally in every Christian will be brought to the surface, noticeable, to be dealt with. And that's an unattractive season that you're in. It's not only unattractive to you, it's usually unattractive to other people. It's a season where God is pruning you. He's dealing with things that are uncomfortable. Um, just like gold being refined in the fire, he'll put the gold in the fire. The fire is not fun. The fire hurts. It's very uncomfortable. But the fire is necessary, and the fire will melt the gold and will cause all the impurities to float up to the top so they can be skimmed off. And so even though we may not like those seasons, nobody does, and nobody wants to go back through them again, but they're necessary. If you didn't have those seasons of preparation, then there would literally be no way that you could be ready to inherit your promised land. Because you wouldn't have been trained and you wouldn't have been prepared. And not only that, but the things that God has to get out of us, it would still be there, you see. And I think sometimes that's why we read about some that get so far off. They, God starts using them, but then they end up getting so far off because some of those things were never dealt with that need to be dealt with. Does that make sense? So even though you may not like it, it's uncomfortable Thank God for the winter seasons. Thank God for the wilderness because it really does serve a purpose, okay? So we've been on a journey 
I could talk about, I may talk a little bit briefly about my personal journey because I think that it will help you guys think about your personal journey. And River of Life has also been on a journey. We've been on, um, we've moved into different seasons. Now, I'm not one that preaches on seasons all the time. I think that in prophetic circles, that word is probably overused some. But there is truth to it. We do have different seasons. Because what God was doing in my life, let's say 2002, is very different from what he's doing now in 2021. Okay, I'm just in a different season of life. So there is truth to it, but I, I think a lot of times it's overused. And because of that, it takes away from the significance of it, unfortunately. But God has had river of life in a seven-year season. We moved, let me just say this, years before we ended up in Garland, years before, I was praying about what we were going to do, and God showed me um, in a vision. It was kind of funny, but you know those literal garlands that somebody would wear on their head, like back in the Roman days or whatever? I saw that. And God spoke to me garland. So my wife and I, way back then, you know, we'd start kind of looking around here periodically, but it wasn't time. Nothing stuck out. There was nowhere seemingly to go. Cindy, you remember this? And we just kind of look around, pray about it. I mean, it was just like, okay, God showed me this, but, but yet years later, um, in 2014, as a matter of fact, God opened the door, and there had been a faithful minister here in this region, just up the road from here, that it really labored in prayer. They would have powerful Friday night prayer meetings, powerful, for many, many years. And they saw tremendous healings there. They saw people getting right with God. They, they saw great revival, really, in their midst for many, many years. They were part of the 90s revival. And this man of God opened the door for me to come into this region, opened his house and helped move us, transition us, and I believe that right there was of great significance because they themselves uh, eventually moved out of this area, and here we are. So that was 2014, and here we are going into the middle of 2021. So we've been in around a seven-year season uh, that God's been preparing River of Life for what he has to do. Now, with that said, people have come and gone. Things have changed. But yet there's a core. And, you know, through this season, what God spoke to me, we moved into this place in 2015. And then the following year, God laid on my heart that we needed to start having these Pentecost conferences once a year. Of course, we had Rick Curry and Lyndall Cooley. We've had John Davis, Sergio Scataglini, and some amazing people. All of this has been preparatory. And during this seven-year season, what God showed me years ago, and some of you may remember this, but God showed me three things. He said that there would be three different dimensions of things he's dealing with. First is that they would be just like water immersion whenever the Jordan was crossed. You remember how Joshua took them through the Jordan, and it was like a water baptism of sorts, okay? God showed me that there would be like a deep consecration he would be doing in us, and it would be in layers, he would keep deeply consecrating us, and that was part of the process, and it was like a Jordan crossing. It would be gradual, 
but they would be, keep being layers of consecration happening in us as we cross the Jordan. Isn't that interesting? Because that was several years ago God showed me that. Then he showed me that there was like Isaiah talked about a two-leaf gate. He showed me that the heavens over were brass. And this is in the, in the Bible. You'd have to look it up, the two-leaf gate, okay? And it was like treasures of darkness. Things were brassed over. And when we first got here, I'm going to tell you, it was very challenging. And I remember the intercessors would see things like that, like praying, but there was like this locked door overhead, you know. And over time, over time of persistent prayer and fasting and consecrating our lives, God has rent the heavens over this ministry. And you can come in here and there's just an open heaven, but what God's not done with that is that he's wanting to open the heavens over this region. See, it's not just for us, but for the region, for the sake of the harvest. And I believe he's about to do that. Because there's, there's like in every promised land, there's always like giants in the land. There's principalities and powers. There's giants in Dallas. And God's opening the heavens, but the wickedness in high places is what we're dealing with. That's the gates. Remember the Bible talks about the gates of hell won't prevail. The picture there is, is that we overcome those gates, you see. And just like Joshua, he took the promised land. He had to go and storm in and conquer you know, so, uh, and I remember that um, the scripture where Rebecca was brought to Isaac and her brother spoke over her that your seed will possess the gates of their enemies, see. So there's something about possessing the gates. And so God's been deeply consecrating through the Jordan. At the same time, he's been dealing with wickedness in high places and breaking things open over our region for us. So there's warfare that's being conquered. Number three is he gave me that story, a vision that uh, James Maloney had of the Holy of Holies being open and that glory coming through and, and a remnant kind of ran in. I don't know if you remember me. I shared that. But I saw that the Lord was going to start taking us deeper into his glory. So it'd be three things. He'd be consecrating us. He would be dealing with our enemies, and he would be taking us deeper in the glory. How many knows that all three of those things have been happening over the years here? I believe that God is now at a time where this is going to come to a close because it's going to be complete. And so we're at this, we're at this limbo time where we're leaving one season that's been about seven years, and we're going to move into a new season. Now, my life personally, and I want you just to think about seasons of your life from 95 when I gave my life to the Lord to about 2002, there was a seven-year season, and God did a lot in my life during that time with the 90s revivals. Tremendous. But I was a, such a baby Christian, I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything about spiritual warfare. I didn't know anything about what it meant to die to the flesh or to, to die to the world or to be delivered from generational stuff or from my past. And so God had a seven-year window there where I was far from perfect. God was basically taking a baby Christian and putting me in the fires of revival and causing all these impurities to come up and dealing with it. So it was glorious, but it was also very uncomfortable. And so God was doing a deep work during those years of my life, very deep. And... Um, 
Anyway, and then God moved me. And during the season of my life in, in East Texas from 2003, and then relocating to the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, from about 2003 to about 2017, God has had a season there where God was doing a tremendous work in my life. And that's around a 14-year period that God was doing a lot in my life personally. And then from 2017 to the present, I'm in a personal season right now. So River of Life, as a church now, this is different than me personally as a church, from about 2003 time frame, River of Life did not exist, but God had called me to the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex to connect with Steve Hill's ministry, which I did in 2003. And so there wasn't such thing as River of Life. It certainly wasn't a church. It was basically me feeling called here, him laying hands over me, blessing me, pray over me, and sending me out to represent his ministry in the east part of the Metroplex, okay? I wasn't on staff at Heartland. I was an extension out this way. And there was a few others as well that he did the same. There was a total of three of us that represented Heartland. So I ended up going to the east part of the Metroplex. So from 2003 to about 2014, during that time, at a certain point, I believe 2009, River of Life really became a church. We incorporated, etc., and God has been doing a tremendous work. But from 2014 till now is the next season. So everybody catch there's been two seasons. The first season was very preparatory. The second season the church is in has also been preparatory, but in a very different way. Because we've been here in Garland, and God's about to end this season. And he's about to move us into a totally different season, which may be seven years. But I believe that it's going to be a season of tremendous revival for this ministry. I'm not saying that to play on your emotions or anything like that. I'm saying I really believe that. I believe that God has already gone before us. He's going to open something from here to a different place. But it's not just an open door geographically. There's an open door in the spirit. Where Paul said, there's an effectual door that's opened unto me, up, open unto me and many that opposed me, but he was in Ephesus, and a great revival broke out. You read about Acts chapter 19. I believe that God, this next season, we're, we're, we're at that place where we're leaving one and moving into the next, and we're right there in limbo. Just like when you go into most churches, you leave the parking lot, but you're in the foyer. You're not in the sanctuary yet. You're still in the foyer. We're not in the parking lot anymore. We're not quite in the sanctuary, but we're right there in that four-year area. We're in that time of limbo. So just know that there's a major season change. And if you pray about it, since you've accepted the Lord, there's been season changes in your life. There's been wilderness times. There's been preparatory times. And God's taking you through different seasons. And usually they'll be anywhere from three to seven, maybe up to 14 years at a time. But there's different seasons of life that we go through. Now, I'm going somewhere with this tonight. I think I'll really encourage you guys. But also, I'm going to share something that's very shocking. But the conquest of Canaan, 
Do you remember when God told through Moses, he said, now when you take the promised land, you're going to enter the land of Canaan. And basically he was saying that the people that live there worship, in, in essence, they, they worship the devil even though they don't necessarily realize that. But it's very dark. It was full of witchcraft, occult practices, all kinds of paganism, all kinds of false gods and temples and idols and altars and covenants to those demon gods. In each respective nation, their culture centered around their god that they worship. I mean, it was just replete with darkness. There was Nephilim there. There were giants. And God told them, when you go into that land, it's extremely dark. But he said, I'm going to take you in, but here's what you got to do. He said, you've got to completely drive out the inhabitants. You've got to destroy every idol, every altar, every temple. You're going to have to fully, completely drive everything out of that land. Make no covenant with the people there. Don't intermarry with them, etc. Well, Israel didn't do that. And because of that, they end up having to live with some of that in the land. And it was like thorns in their side, but eventually they backslid and became like what they were around. Now, let me tell you, why is that important? Because as a Christian, the conquest of Canaan speaks of our own personal deliverance in many ways. We have to fervently, diligently drive every trace of the enemy out of our lives and not give up until it's completely gone. If you don't do that, then there'll be areas of your life that you may struggle with to the grave. And if you're not careful, I've seen some people that eventually didn't deal with some of their stuff, that eventually that very area of their life is what took them out of church and away from God. Are y'all hearing me? So personal deliverance is extremely important. My wife and I have ministered along these lines for many years. On our website, we have a deliverance questionnaire that people can kind of fill out. There's, there's prayers you can pray. You know, we re- even wrote a book, Transform, that dealt with this, but it's so important that each individual person go through a process where God sanctifies your life. He deals with everything that's been there in you that's not of him, that the flesh is crucified, the world is cleansed out, and everything the devil's had is destroyed and driven out of your life. Now, let me just say this. Do not give up until it's completely done. You know, sometimes when people go through very severe attacks, and let me say this too. I've seen this a lot. People individually will go through sometimes tremendous spiritual attacks. And that warfare will be so severe against them, it kind of beats them down. Sometimes for a season, they'll backslide or they'll really struggle, maybe even going back to some of the stuff that God took them out of, and they're, they're under severe warfare. But see, a lot of times the warfare will lessen and break and push back But they themselves, it's really important that people hear me in this, they themselves will not return fully back to the place that they once were. It's just that the warfare is lightened up so they feel better. They're not back where they were. They just simply are relieved that it's lifted. And so I want you to think about what I'm saying. Did warfare beat you down, and then you, are you at a place right now where you can look back and say there was a time 
that I was more on fire, I was more fruitful, my life was spiritually better, I was doing more, I was more hungry, I was more effective, something hit me, knocked me sideways, brought me down, and even though that's lifted and I'm doing better, I'm not back where I once was. Think about that. Pray about it because God wants you to get back to that and even go beyond that, okay? All right, so I'm going to give you four things. Pretty quickly move through this part, and then I'm going to get into some warnings. I'm going to give you four things for every season of life. How many of you guys remember the story from an Elijah to an Elisha? Elijah had the mantle. Elisha was his servant, poured water over his hands, served him faithfully, was a spiritual son. And when it came time for Elijah to leave, Elisha knew it, others knew it, the chariots and horsemen were coming, and Elisha wanted a double portion. And, and I would imagine Elisha really loved his spiritual father, loved Elijah, and didn't want him to go. But Elijah told Elisha, listen, it's time for me to go, so you stay here, and I'm going on. And Elisha said, no, I'm not staying here. I'm going to go with you. And so he goes with him. There were four stops. He goes with him to Gilgal. And in Gilgal, Elijah turned to Elisha and said, okay, look, you follow me this far. Stay here. I'm going on. And Elisha again says, no, I'm going with you. And then they went from Gilgal to Bethel. Same, same thing. Stay here. No, I'm going with you. Then they go to Jericho. And eventually, Elijah sees that Elisha isn't going to leave him, and he says, what can I do for you? What can the Lord do for you? And Elisha says, I want a double portion of what you have. And Elijah says, well, you've asked a hard thing, but if you see me when I go, see, he had to stay with him. If you see me when I go. And so Elisha just stayed with him all the way to the Jordan. So there are four stops. I'm going to talk about them briefly. Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho to Jordan. And then when he got to the Jordan, we know the story. The horsemen and chariots came, and they snatched up Elijah. Elijah took his mantle, probably his tallit, I'm sure, and threw it down. And Elisha came and picked it up. And he says, where's the Lord, the God of Elijah? And he struck the waters of the Jordan, and they parted. And he knew that the same spirit that was on Elijah was coming on him in a double portion. And if you read the story, Elisha literally did double everything that Elijah ever did. So these are four things for every season of life. Every time you go into a season that you're in, God's going to do these things in that season. And you may not have realized it was even going on, but this is a pattern. And it's interesting to study out the other people that went through these areas in the Bible, like Samuel. But these represent seasons. When you go to Gilgal, when Joshua, what does Gilgal represent? It represents God dealing with the uncomfortable stuff. See, when 
Joshua brought the children of Israel finally through the Jordan, their first stop was Gilgal. This was where the the stubborn, stiff-necked people of the wilderness did not circumcise their sons. And so Joshua has to step up now and be a spiritual leader. He brought these young people through the Jordan, and their first stop now is Gilgal, and he, Joshua had to take every one of them and circumcise them. And so he circumcised every male, and at that place, God spoke to Joshua and said, now, because you've done this, he said, I'm rolling away from them, away from the nation, all of the reproach of Egypt. Did y'all catch that? This is significant what I'm saying. Don't, don't let it just kind of go past you. All the reproach of Egypt. Are you kidding me? That was over 40 years. All the reproach of Egypt. This is the next generation. But something happened through that water baptism through the Jordan, through that circumcision. A circumcision is cutting away the excess flesh. And in the New Testament time, they said, look, it's no longer a physical circumcision that has the value. Now it is being circumcised in the heart. So if you take the natural to the spiritual, God has got to cut away out of our hearts all of that junk. How many knows that we've got to be crucified with Christ? It's no longer us who live. See, there's a circumcision of the heart that cuts away all that old flesh. In other words, all of the old Scott has to die so that now there can be a resurrected life in Christ that I can go into, but I can't get there until the flesh is dead. And God's got to cut that stuff out of us. Gilgal is also a memorial place. You know, we have to be careful because many denominations, many groups of people have have talked about the revivals of times past, which is awesome. I do that too, but the problem many times is that people make like a shrine or a memorial of what was, and they camp out there talking about it all the time, and they never press in for something in their generation. You know, I love, I went to Cambridge, I love going there. You know, it's, it's, a one, it's wonderful, I enjoy that. I enjoy studying revival history, y'all know me, but I'm not looking back at, oh man, look at that. No, I'm looking at, look, thank God for what he did. Do it again, Lord, but greater. You see, there's a remembering the wonders of the Lord, of course, but then there's a, look, we need to see it now in our generation. Well, the problem is, and I say this with great love, but a lot of groups of people have almost like some kind of a religious spirit about them. You can get around different groups, different denominations, and different groups of people. And you can be around them for a short amount of time, and you can kind of feel a different religious type spirit on this group as opposed to this group here, as opposed to this group here. They have a different religious spirit about them. They have their own set of pet doctrines and traditions of men, their own strongholds the enemy has, if you will, And I'll tell you what God has to do at Gilgal. If you want to go on with the Lord like an Elisha to an Elijah and see, thank God for what God did, but I've got to see it in my generation. If you want to see that mantle on your life and see God really do it, then God's going to have to get all that dead religion out of you. 
This is where religion is being purged out. Memorial. See, Gilgal is a memorial. It was a circle of stones. And let me tell you, the thing is that a lot of times people, spiritually speaking, are just going in a circle. I left a church and came back several years later, and literally, they were singing the same songs. They were going through the same religious ritual. They were just as dead all those years later as they were the years before. The only difference was that some of them had more gray hair. You know what they were? They were living in Gilgal. They never went any further. They've camped around that going in a little religious circle. And so this is the place that Joshua also had an encounter with the angel. And and the Bible says that he began to celebrate Passover. And after he did that, that's when the angel came. And he started getting revelation to move forward. You see, God's warning you to move out of your Gilgal. But this is the place where Joshua, think about what I'm saying. Moses brought him out by the blood of the Passover lamb through the water baptism of the Red Sea and the cloud. So it was baptism in the cloud and the sea, which represents the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of water. Moses brought him out. They had their, in, their encounter with God at Sinai. Joshua now had to basically see that renewed in this generation. So they were baptized through the Jordan, and then they were circumcised as they gave their, they consecrated themselves back to God. Then they had Passover again, you see. Joshua was renewing the covenant, and then now they were ready spiritually to see the walls of Jericho come down. We honor the past, but we've got to start moving forward. This is also where the manna died. You know, up to this point, they had the physical cloud by day and the fire by night that they could see. Every morning they picked up manna, it was there. They physically handled it. But once they moved into Gilgal, all that stopped. It was a leaving of one season moving into the next season. And now God had to start moving in their life by faith. They could no longer ride Moses' walk with God and Aaron's walk with God and Miriam's walk with God. Now they had to believe God for themselves. How many knows that Elisha could not have lived the rest of his life just riding Elijah's coattail? He learned from him, but then he had to rise up in faith and be the man of God that God called him to be. So that's where Gilgal is God is going to deal with the things in you all those pet doctrines, the traditions of men, things that you came out of. How many be honest and say that when you first, first came to River of Life that there was things that at first were new to you and maybe troubled you some because it wasn't what you were used to? Be honest. A lot of people. Well, see, you were coming out of your different groups, whatever you came out of. But here's the thing. God brought you through your Gilgal and helped you get all that, that religious prejudice out of you. That's what it is. So then you go from Gilgal to Bethel. Bethel means house of God. Joshua moved camp from Gilgal to east of Bethel, but also Bethel is where there was a time previously before Jacob got there that Abraham, his granddaddy, was there in this area of Bethel 
built an altar, prayed, and Abraham's prayers created some kind of an open heaven. Now, this wasn't known, but Jacob fled from Esau and was going to his uncle Laban's house. On his journey, he lays down to sleep at Bethel. It wasn't named Bethel. He named it that after this, but he was there in that same spot, used a rock as a pillow, and he's laying there. And in the middle of the night, he had the vision of the angels ascending and descending on that ladder. And he said, my God, this is the very house of God. I didn't even know it. There was an open heaven there. Angels ascending and descending. Something was there. How many knows that there is something where God has moved in times past? There is a residue. And Jacob didn't even realize it, but he walked into something that his granddaddy Abraham had a walk with God, and he walked right into that. But see, here's the problem at Bethel. Now God's got to deal with different things. First, in Gilgal, he's dealing with all the flesh and the world and the devil and all the religion in us that's got to get out. Once we move out of our Gilgal, God will begin to pour out his spirit in our lives. How many of you guys have experienced since you've been here an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your life? Amen? Well, that's your Bethel. And as God begins to pour out his spirit in your life, you got to understand that's not just to feel good and, and to um, have goosebumps or whatever. Yes, it is. God is loving on us. We need that. But the move of the Holy Spirit is much deeper than that. You know, I, I always get around anointed men of God, and I like to ask questions. And as Brother Ralph and I were talking yesterday, I asked him, I said, Brother, what, what has God taught you about the anointing? And he said, well, let me tell you. He said, I don't view the anointing as just being something for ministry to do things. He said, my entire focus of the anointing on my life and in my life is God do in me by the anointing whatever you've got to do in me. And then the rest of it, the anointing is obviously there for ministry, but the anointing in my life is for God to do in me what he needs to do. Now, that's a good focus. You see, it's in Bethel. You remember when Joshua defeated Jericho, he left Gilgal and conquered Jericho. What was the next thing Israel went through? They, they were defeated by a small little city, Ai, which was far inferior than Jericho. Why? Because of a man's sin in the camp. See, God, when God begins to pour out his spirit in your life and in a church in Bethel, God is now sending his Holy Spirit. He's pouring out the Spirit in an awesome way. But the same Holy Spirit that refreshes, empowers us, is the same baptism of fire that will purify us. And God's going to begin to deal with sin in the camp. And so this is where God begins to really purge. It's an it's interesting dynamic because John said about Jesus, I'm not worthy to untie his shoes, but at the same time, he will come and baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. See, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is awesome. You know, we love that. That's so refreshing. But then there's a baptism of fire that's kind of like, oh, man, this kind of hurts a little because God is purging us. He's purging the church. 
All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit starts really moving in that church, really powerful, and things begin to come up that you didn't even realize were there. I remember Steve Hill preached a sermon during the days at Heartland called Strike the Viper's Nest. I don't know if you can find those anymore. They were, they were specifically at Heartland, not Brownsville. But I have a copy of them on audio, and I'll never forget it because he told stories. He was saying, look, when Paul was on the island of Malta and they started that fire, they built the fire, and he said when the fire started, there was a snake in the in the wood that they did not know was there, but the fire caused the snake to jump out of the wood and bite Paul. He said, you know, people pray for revival, but he said, let me tell you, those churches out there, you're praying for revival, and that's good, but he said, I promise you when the fire shows up, that hidden snakes are going to start coming up that you did not know were there. This is where God starts dealing with stuff. Yes, this is also a place where the wells of revival are being dug. This is a place of also complete surrender in our lives. The Holy Spirit is moving and refreshing us. He's also sanctifying us. But God's expecting us to lay our lives on the altar and completely, totally surrender everything to Him at Bethel. This is where the Bible says in Romans 12, that my life is to be a living sacrifice unto God, holy and acceptable. This is the place of the burnt offering where we lay it down, lay our lives on the altar, and the fire completely burns out everything where there's nothing left but Him. This is also the place in Bethel, those that remember this story, this happened in Bethel, where Jacob, you remember Jacob saw the vision of the angels ascending and descending. Then he goes to Laban's, and he's there, and he's there for at least 14 years working to get Rachel and all that, and he ends up very wealthy and all that he has, and it's time to go. And as he's coming back, he's afraid to face Esau, but he ends up in Bethel. Isn't it interesting that he ends up here in Bethel? And the angel of the Lord appears to him there, and what does he end up doing? He ends up wrestling the angel. See, there's a wrestle. The greatest wrestling match of our lives really is truthfully not with the devil so much as it is with us. The great wrestling of God getting out of us what needs to go. That every area of our lives is dead and crucified in Christ. Because there's some things that may be easy to die to, but there's other things that it, it's a painful death at first, you know. And Jacob he had to really, truly wrestle that angel. But he said, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. And what happened at the end of it? The angel touched his hip. In other words, Jacob after Jacob went and he, he had to deal with his uncle. He had to go through all those testings and all those trials and all those difficulties. He had been in a wilderness time. He's coming back to the place that God first moved in his life. God's brought him kind of full circle. And now he's rested, the final wrestle match. He said, God, I'm not letting you go till you bless me. And then what happens? God changes the way he walks. Jacob was a different man after that. As a matter of fact, the angel told Jacob, your name will no longer be Jacob, which implied deceiver, but now your name will be Israel. 
which part of that word sar, S-A-R, is prince. And it means, it implies, Israel implies like an overcomer, a conqueror, like to reign with Christ. That's really what it implies. And so Jacob had it allowed God to do what needed to be done. This is the place where God opens the heavens. But then, God isn't just going to finish there. Elisha had to follow Elijah from Bethel now to Jericho. What is Jericho? This is the place of great spiritual warfare. How many knows that for you to get where you're supposed to get, you're going to face the devil? See, at Gilgal, you faced your past. You faced all the, the religion, the religious prejudice, all the junk that needed to be dealt with. Then you go to Bethel, and God really starts pouring out his spirit, but God's not done with you. There's still a being completely crucified with Christ. But then the Lord, now you've, you've kind of faced the flesh, you've faced the world that's in you. Now you've got to face the devil. Jesus faced Satan in the wilderness before he began his ministry. But on the other side of that fasting and prayer and warfare, the Bible says he came back in the power of the Spirit. So there is a major realm of warfare, and the greater the warfare, the greater the blessing on the other side. So if you're going to face major warfare, that's because there's a major blessing on the other side of it. I think about the warfare... God has been preparing River of Life. It's time. You know, God has said to us through different credible sources, people I respect, that the giants are coming down. See, it's the Jericho aspect of this season that sees the giants fall, that sees the impossible breakthroughs, like the walls of Jericho that came down. See, think about this for a moment. There's no way in the natural that Joshua could have had them pull those walls down. From what I understand, archaeologists and others have gone and, and looked at this area. From what I understand, biblical archaeology has said that it looks like that God caused the ground underneath the wall to open and the wall to just literally fall down into the ground. That was supernatural. It wasn't something that they had any ability with sledgehammers or throwing boulders up against or anything like that. It wasn't their human effort. This was something that God himself did, you see. This is the realm where, where supernatural victory takes place. But you've got to get strategy here in prayer. Just like Joshua, it's very important. Please don't miss this. Joshua had to seek the Lord. This is, you've told us to take this promised land. I'm looking at this walled city how are we going to do this? And God says, here is the strategy. March around it once a day for six days. On the seventh day, march around it seven times. Then everybody shout and blast the shofar. That was his strategy. And when he obeyed, the victory came. And I think about supernatural victories like Abraham rescuing a lot. How did Abraham, with just his family, end up going in against four kings in their military, their four different military forces united to rescue Lot. 
How did little David cut the head off of Goliath? How did Gideon, with 300 men, blast shofars and break open these pots of clay and see like 100,000 fall before him? How did Hezekiah see the victory in his day over Assyria? It was the angel that walked through the camp. So there's over and over and over again, we see supernatural victory in war because of faith. So God has got to get us to a place to where in Gilgal, there's like a circumcision. God's cutting away our old junk that needs to go, all of our religious prejudice, all of our traditions of men, all of our dead religion. He's got to deal with our past. But then we go to Bethel and God starts pouring out his spirit, but he's not done. Now in Bethel, in the outpouring of the spirit in our lives, he's still laying us on the altar and consuming us with his fire and burning out every trace of what else needs to go so that now we can go to Jericho and see the victory over our giants. Every destiny has a giant in front of that promised lamb. For Moses, literally, for Moses to go up to, I know he didn't go all the way in, but for him to get there, he had to face Sion and Og, and Og was a Nephilim. He was literally a giant. Moses had to face his giant. Joshua's giant, probably he literally fought giants, I'm sure, but his giant, so to speak, was the walls of Jericho. Every promised land has some kind of an impossible obstacle in front of you that's a giant there. And once you win in warfare, Jesus had to literally face Satan in the wilderness. That was his giant. Once you come out of that warfare, then you're at a place now to where you can receive a tremendous anointing and go to a whole new place that God can trust you with the mantle, with the anointing that God has for your life to really move into your destiny, okay? So this is where you move from Jericho to the Jordan. You have faced your past enemies. Now it's time to receive the double portion. You remember Jesus was baptized by John at the River Jordan. This is a place where the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus. So I want you to think about seasons of your life through the years. You've gone through seasons where you've had, God's had to deal with your religious prejudice. Then he poured out his spirit. And in that outpouring, there's a sanctification, there's a purifying God's doing in you to get all the remaining junk out. Then you go through tremendous warfare. On the other side of the warfare, it's a time to receive a new level. Then you'll go that new level of anointing. You enter into a whole new season, and God's not done. In some ways, you'll go back through that again. God will make sure any, as you go back through a Gilgal, if there's any remaining religion or junk, he'll deal with it. He'll pour out his spirit. If there's any junk still there, he'll deal with it. Then you're going to face the giants of that season. When you conquer them, then he'll increase the anointing again. The, all of our life, we're going to be going through this. But it's a process of going from glory to glory, victory to victory, being an overcomer, more than a conqueror, and fully doing everything God's called you to do. 
So River of Life, just to encourage you, now I'm going to shift and I'm going to talk about warnings real quickly to us. But I just want to encourage you, River of Life, that this ministry has already gone through our Gilgal. We've already gone through our Bethel. And we're getting on the other side of our Jericho. We've been facing our giants. They're about to fall completely and be scattered. We're right at that. And when we get through that, we're going to go to the Jordan, and that's where God has another place and a major outpouring he has for us. That's our Jordan, and it's right at hand. Okay, so I want to encourage you. Now, let me give you a warning, and I'm going to close with these warnings. If you can just give me about maybe 15, 20 more minutes here. I'm really concerned, though, because when I was at Cane Ridge and I was praying, I had some time to drive all the way out there, so I spent a lot of time in prayer by myself. Get out there. It's kind of quiet, just seeking the Lord. And, and in my hotel room, God spoke to me a precipice. And as you go up to the highest point of a mountain or the, the furthest tip of a cliff, it's like the precipice, but it's dangerous. The further you go, the tighter the squeeze and the more dangerous and precarious it is. Well, God showed me that. And I felt like River of Life that here we are leaving this one season and coming into our next. And what happens? Warfare. And I felt like there was a squeeze. There was like going through dire straits and it was somewhat dangerous and precarious. But if we would stay close to the Lord, we would come through it victorious. And we would enter into our destiny. But here's the warnings. Lester Summerall taught this, and many others have taken it, and I believe it's very true. Lester was also one of those pioneers of the deliverance ministry. I think Derek Prince probably was, in my opinion, my estimation, the real pioneer of the deliverance ministry. Uh, but Lester was used very powerfully. A lot of people don't know Lester Summerall was a spiritual son to um, Smith Wigglesworth. He spent a lot of time with Smith when he was young, and he had to leave, and Smith wept when he had to go. And Smith called him to him and laid hands on him and prayed that the same anointing and giftings in Smith Wigglesworth would be in him. And, of course, he came here and had a powerful ministry. And Lester was used very powerfully. I don't remember the year off the top of my head, but he was in another country, and there was a, a particular young lady that was totally demon-possessed, and he was used to cast the demons out. It made the news in that country. And it kind of propelled him into some fame through all of that. And so he taught a lot about demonology and deliverance. And here's what he warns Christians. If we're not careful, we can backslide and we can come into demonic bondage. And it's true. God has made us like the hull of a boat, V-shaped. We're always supposed to be going forward. We're not supposed to be backsliding. Now, here is the warnings. Number one, be careful that we don't regress. This is step number one, regression. Regression is when people start going back to the stuff they came out of. They used to drink. Now they've gone back, back to alcohol. You'll start hearing some of the profanity again. Some of the old friends they used to hang with that they quit hanging with because they got saved, they're hanging out again. 
some of the old places they used to go, maybe bars or clubs, whatever, even some of the filthy, ungodly type entertainment, movies they used to watch that they quit because they knew they weren't good, they go, they go back, they start regressing. And you start seeing that backward movement in their life. This is regression. If they don't catch themselves and kind of come to their senses, repent and move back into the Lord again, where he wants them anyway, if they don't do that, they'll go to the next phase is repression. This is where they lose their joy. They lose, lose the praise in their life that they, you know, they came to church and they would jump and they would shout and lift their hands. They had a praise. They had a joy of the Lord in their life. Um, they were active in ministry. They were doing things for the Lord. Um, they wanted to serve. They wanted to give. They were really active. And all of a sudden you see that they're, they're going back to old behavior. And now they're repressed where they don't praise, they're not joyful, and they don't want to be active anymore. They stop coming to events. You don't see them in church as much as you used to. They're certainly not doing what in church what they used to do. If they don't snap out of it, the next thing is suppression. This is where they start concealing Jesus in their life. In the workplace, they used to witness, they used to talk about the things of God. Now, they don't mention the name of Jesus. They don't witness, they don't bear fruit. They really don't want people to even know that they're a Christian. They're concealing that now. If they don't snap out of it, the next phase will be depression. And this is where now... They start moving into a place of severe discouragement. They start feeling kind of hopeless. They're depressed. Up until this point, people need to pray for them and try to reach out to them if you can. Pray for them. Talk to them. If you're their friend, you know, go back and kind of witness to them again, so to speak, about, look, you, you used to be here with the Lord, now you're not what happened, let's, you know, try to reach out to them because now they're getting to a place of depression. And when people really start getting depressed, they can start really opening the door to spirits in their life mentally, emotionally, and physically. It starts that. It starts opening the doors. And if they don't get out of that, the next phase is oppression. And this is, can become quite serious. Now, there are literally demonic spirits that are oppressing their life. It's evident. Now, you will notice that they start having a personality change. They seem like a different person than you used to know. And if they don't break out of that oppression, it can move into obsession. Now, what's obsession? Obsession is when your mind is obsessed with something. Now, mentally, it's like a demonic thing has some kind of claw in the brain. It has a hook in them that now they are obsessed. And also, with this obsession, 
will be like something wrapping around their lives, squeezing the very life out of them spiritually. They are beginning now to be besieged round about by demonic spirits. And if they don't get free, if they don't come to church, get ministry and get this off them, it can move into a place of possession, which is maybe not the best word, but it's where demonic spirits literally start entering their body, entering their soul area, and they begin to really get in deep, dark bondage to spirits. These spirits will overtake the mind, overtake the emotions. But see, this is a downward spiral. It usually takes a period of time. It's not something that happens overnight. The person shouldn't have allowed it to happen. But they're backsliding. And let me tell you, it's very dangerous. Because once people get to the realm of being obsessed and even completely overtaken, it can be very difficult to get them back again because they're in such bondage. But with God, all things are possible. Begin to pray for them, begin to fast, and begin to take authority over the enemy to release them. And God can still get to them and deliver them. But that's the downward spiral. Now, let me just warn you, River of Life, don't think to yourself, well, that'll never happen to me. Don't think that way. I'm going to share a story with you that is extremely concerning, but I felt to share this story. I'm going to read this. Is that all right with you guys? I'm going to close with this story and just a couple things, but it's going to take me a moment to read this story. This is a, a warning. This is from a book by Kenneth Hagin called The Triumphant Church. And then this book, Kenneth Hagin was dealing with things like our spiritual authority as believers. This book really affected my life deeply back in the 90s, taught me who I was and what I have in Christ. God really used it in my life. But this particular story really came back to my mind as I was preparing this sermon that God wanted me to read this story. So I encourage you uh, to get this book called The Triumphant Church by Kenneth Hagin and to read the whole book because I believe it'll be a blessing to you. But here's this story. Now, this story kind of deals with the last three, oppressed, obsessed, and possessed. It's like this particular person moved into the last three pretty fairly quickly, but I want you to see this. So in 1952, Kenneth Hagin had an open vision where he ended up kind of in this glory cloud. And let me just read the story. It says, when Jesus appeared to me in 1952, he talked to me extensively on the subject of demons and how they get a hold of people. And there were three parts to the 1952 vision. He said, at this time, I was holding a meeting in a church I was staying at the parsonage with the pastor. Okay, so he's having an extended revival there, which may be new to some people listening. But back in these days, churches would go night and day for maybe three to four, five, eight, maybe 12 weeks, and they'd have a speaker come in. The speaker sometimes would stay either with the pastor or maybe stay with somebody in the church that's a, a family that, you know, is like an elder in the church or something. And... That family would take care of the speaker, would cook for them and take care of them while they're there. And that speaker would come in every night, would minister, and that was what was going on, okay? So one night after one of the meetings, 
He said, the pastor and I began to pray together in his home, and he said, I was no more expecting anything unusual to happen at that moment than I expected to be the first man to land on the moon. He said, I never felt so ordinary in my life, but as soon as I knelt down to pray, it just seemed like this white cloud came down and enveloped me. I found myself kneeling in the cloud. I couldn't see anything. My physical senses were suspended. My eyes were in a state of being open, and I couldn't see the stove, the table, or anything else in the kitchen. It was just a cloud. And then he goes on to explain many times in the Old Testament, the glory came in a cloud, okay? And he began, the Lord began to speak to him in a conversation, and he said, I'm going to teach you concerning the devil, demons, and demon possession. And from this night forward, what's known as the gift of discerning of spirits will operate in your life. Jesus said, I'm going to show you exactly how demons and evil spirits get in people and dominate them to eventually possess them, even some Christians, if they allow it. Everybody say, allow it, you see. So Jesus talked to me for some time about the gift of discerning of spirits. I'm skipping a few things. Then, still enveloped in the cloud, Jesus opened the realm of the spirit to me. I began seeing into this realm, and I saw a woman. And Jesus began to narrate the following scene to me. I saw this scene all in action as it was unfolding. So he's kind of watching it all happen. For instance, this woman, Jesus said, using this lady as an example, he said, this woman was a child of mine. She was in the ministry with her husband, and she had a beautiful singing voice. In the vision, I, he said, I recognized the woman, and I knew who she was. I did not know her personally, but I knew that she had left her husband, who was a pastor, for another man. In fact, her former husband was the very pastor I was praying with in this parsonage right now. We say, you see, unless Jesus shows us, we only see the result of what happened. She left her husband. But he said, unless the Lord shows us, we don't see the demonic realm that caused it, you see. So the Lord said to me, this woman was my servant, her husband, a pastor, and she was in ministry with him, and the devil came to her. And as Jesus narrated, I saw what looked like a little imp. It almost looked like a monkey, and it came and sat on her shoulder and began to whisper in her ear. And the Lord continued speaking to me, and he said, this evil spirit whispered. Hold on, I just lost my place. I'm sorry. The Lord continued speaking to me, and he said, this evil spirit whispered in the woman's mind, you are a beautiful woman. You've been robbed in life. You are being cheated. In the world, you could have had fame and fortune and popularity because she was pretty and she had a beautiful singing voice. So this little imp is speaking to her, you see. And there's no doubt, Kenneth Hagin is saying, there's no doubt in my mind that this woman's singing ability, that she could have been an outstanding singer, famous, etc. But here's something I want you to see. Although the devil's statement had some truth to it, in the world you could have fame, fortune, popularity. According to the Bible, well, first off, let me just stop this. How many knows Jesus taught us what good is it to gain the whole world, whole world and forfeit your soul? Okay, first off. But secondly... Kenneth Hagin says here in Philippians 4.8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report, virtuous, praiseworthy, think on those things. And he's saying that this woman's mind should not be entertaining the thoughts of demon spirits. You see, 
He said what the demon was saying did not line up with Scripture because it wasn't completely true and honest. It was not just and pure and lovely and of good report, and it certainly did not have any virtue in it, you see. So she shouldn't have entertained it. Now, some people wonder how to distinguish the voice of Satan, and this is how you do it. What you hear must line up with the Word of God. Amen? So if it's lining up with the Word, then that's a good sign that it's probably the Lord. Now, Jesus continues, this woman knew it was the devil speaking to her. And so he said, get behind me, Satan. And I saw the little demon jump off her shoulder, run off and leave. And Jesus still narrating said, by and by, periodically now, this demonic spirit would come back to her again, sit on her shoulder and begin to whisper in her ear. At this point, the evil spirit wasn't um, on the inside of her or anything like that, but it was on the outside. It was uh, oppressing her mind. Suggestive thoughts trying to gain access through her mind. Everybody say access. You know how demons try to access? You have to be careful. They want to access through the eye gate. They want to access through what you're hearing. But definitely the mind and the emotions can be access points if you're not careful. And so Jesus was saying it wasn't inside of her anything. It was just oppressing her from the outside. And she still had authority over it as a Christian. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And she could have resisted the devil. And she didn't have to give any place to the devil. Now, everybody agrees with this, right? She did not have to give any place to the devil in her life. Amen? All right. So Jesus said, by and by, this demon kept coming back sit on her shoulder. You tell her you're a beautiful woman. You've been cheating in life, robbed in life. In the world, you could have fame, fortune, popularity. She knew it was the devil. She said, get behind me, Satan, and the demon would leave her for a season. But notice when this woman exercised her rightful authority over the devil, the demon had to leave. But after a season, it would return. Just because you resisted the devil one time doesn't mean it won't try to come back again. The Bible doesn't teach that. Look at the temptation of Jesus. The Bible says the devil left Jesus in Luke 4, 1 through 13 for a season, you see. And in the vision, I saw the devil return to this Christian woman to tempt her again. And Jesus began narrating, and I saw the little imp come again and sit on her shoulder and whisper in her ear. And Jesus said, by and by, this evil spirit came again and whispered the same thing. And Jesus explained at this point, the woman still was just being oppressed. No Christian is immune to Satan's suggestions and oppression. But we don't have to yield to it. So listen, just because you're being tempted doesn't mean that you're in sin or anything. Even Jesus was tempted by the devil, you see. That's not sin. And just because she's being oppressed, none of us are immune to this type of activity, but we have to recognize it as the devil and the Bible says, submit unto God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. You have to resist it. Do not put up with it. And so this woman, over time, though, unfortunately, she began to think along these lines herself. She began to think to herself when the thing spoke to her, yes, you know, I am beautiful, and I have been cheated in life. This woman did not keep her thoughts in line with the Scripture and her mind on Jesus. What does the Bible say? Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. 
But instead of keeping her mind on the Lord, she began to dwell on and entertain satanic thoughts. She was a beautiful woman, and she got to thinking about her beauty instead of keeping her thoughts centered on God, his word, and God's will for her life. How many knows there's no greater plan than God's will for our lives? Amen. She began thinking the devil's thoughts. She got lifted up in pride. And the Bible says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. How many knows if you start listening to demons, the next thing is going to be pride, you see? And she got lifted up with pride. How many knows these suggestions of the mind are Satan's tool? Many believers wonder how Satan is able to gain ground in their lives. Many times the first place Satan starts to work is in the mind. How many would agree that an adulterous affair very seldom just randomly happens. Most of the time, it begins with a thought in the mind that's entertained. After all, this was the weapon that Satan used against Eve in the garden when he gave her a suggestion in her mind. He suggested to her, did God really say? And began to question things. We don't have to fall prey to Satan's suggestions because the Bible says we are to give the devil no place in us. That means don't give him any place in your thought life. Everybody say, no place in my thought life. Amen. So Jesus then told me that when this woman began to think Satan's thoughts and follow Satan's suggestions, it moved from an oppression to an obsession in her mind. Do you see what I'm talking about? And if you're not careful with demonic obsession, it becomes like a broken record in the mind. It just keeps replaying, 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 replaying. And it, it gets like a stronghold mentally, where now the person seems to just be obsessed with that. Everything they see, it starts now coming out of their own mouth, but they're thinking that all the time. She began thinking these thoughts, and then in the vision, the woman changed, and she, and listen, Kenneth Hagin, it's very important what I'm about to say here, actually. Kenneth Hagin said, in the vision God was giving him, the woman all of a sudden became like transparent, where he could see through her like an x-ray. And he said, I saw that little imp on her shoulder. Now, it moved into her head area, and he said it became like a black dot in her mind, like about the size of a silver dollar, but it was like a black spot in her head. I want everybody to say this. She allowed it. This shouldn't have happened. She began to think the thoughts of that spirit and come into agreement with them. She opened the door to this. It went from the outside into her very mind and got like a root in there. She still could have been delivered. So Jesus explains that this, at first this woman, my servant, was merely oppressed, and she rebuked the devil, and she resisted it, but now she's becoming obsessed with the devil's thoughts. She became obsessed with that kind of thinking, but even then it wasn't too late. Jesus says she was still my child. She knew what to do. If she really wanted to, she still could have put the thoughts out of her mind and commanded it to leave. It's possible for a believer to become obsessed in his thinking with the devil's thoughts. But I want you to understand this. That woman could have rebuked it at any time. So understand, the Lord goes to great lengths here to Kenneth Hagin to say, she allowed this. Okay? 
She knew what she was doing. She became obsessed with it. She knew it was the devil's thoughts. So Jesus explained it wasn't until she began listening to the thoughts that it took up in her mind. She eventually, though, here's the thing. This now got in her head, and it resulted now in her action. So what's the next thing? She eventually left her husband and took up with another man. She went from that man to another man, from that man to another, until she had five different men, didn't marry any of them, just live with them. And Jesus said it still wasn't too late if she had really truly repented and turned back to me and asked me, I would have forgiven her. She didn't need anyone to put the devil on the run. She could have really truly repented and drove the enemy out, okay? Jesus doesn't endorse or condone wrongdoing, of course, but thank God he's willing to forgive it if we'll come to him, amen? He's merciful. And so it's not enough that we have authority in Christ, but we've got to use our authority. I'm doing this for a reason. I want everybody to say this out loud. We have to use our authority. It's not enough that you know it. It's not enough that you hear me doing it. When the devil shows up, you need to say, in the name of Jesus, I bind you out, out of my head, John Day, out of my head, out of my heart, out of my home. <laughs> he means it. And you know what? When he's saying that, it's leaving the head, the heart, and the home of everybody there, amen? But we've got to take authority over, and you remember what I talked about last week, about that father that kept telling the devil every day about his son, Satan. He, he pray every day. In his prayer time, he walked, Satan, you will not have my son. I bind you in the name of Jesus. You will release him into his destiny and what God has for him. In the name of Jesus, I bind you. You will not have him. And he kept doing it. You know what? Eventually, it yielded. And now his son is in the ministry doing great things for the kingdom of God. We have to use our authority in Christ. It's so important. As listen, this is not for preachers. This every Christian has authority in Christ by virtue of the fact that you are saved. You're a child of God, and the Bible says if you submit unto God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. As a matter of fact, the Bible says this about you. These signs will follow them that do believe. So we have to believe. We will speak in new tongues. What does it say? Cast out demons. And we will lay hands on the sick, and they'll recover. This isn't just for preachers. This is for everybody. You can lay hands on the sick and they recover and you can drive out demons. You need to know that and you need to use it, okay? Then in the vision, so this is the final part of this vision, but it's very important. It's very sad actually, but I want you to see this. I feel this is a warning for River of Life. Don't allow the enemy in your head. If the devil starts putting critical thoughts about your spouse, about the pastor, the pastor's wife, the church, other Christians, be careful. Don't entertain demonic thoughts. That's what I actually saw. It was interesting. I actually saw this type of thing happen to a guy I knew. His wife started putting all these negative thoughts in his mind against his pastor and when I saw this guy, I'll never forget, and it was like a vision. I saw him. I was praying for him, and I saw like black watermelon seeds in his head. It was all the thoughts that he had listened to that were demonic, that were not of God, that were unfortunately from his wife. And he ended up betraying people in his life because of that. Isn't that sad? But he entertained it. 
So in the vision, here's Kenneth Hagin. In the vision he's in, okay, he said, then, remember this woman was living with a guy. He said, I saw a leader of this particular full gospel denomination go to the hotel. In the vision, she was in a room with the guy, okay? And in the vision, he said, I was standing outside the hotel, and it seemed as if I was right there while this is happening, and the leader of this denomination went to the desk and inquired of this lady, got the room, went up, and Kenneth Hagin said it was as though I was right there at the door as he's knocking on the door. And he said, I saw the whole scene as it was taking place. The minister knocked on the hotel room door, and this woman came to the door with almost no clothes on, opened it. She opened the door, and she recognized this man immediately. And she said, I know what you're here for. The minister had come to try to restore her and pray with her and get her back to God and back to her husband. But please hear me right now. Everybody look this way and hear me. And this woman said to this guy, he said, now listen to me. As far as Jesus Christ is concerned, to hell with him. And she slammed the door in his face. How could this happen? See, here's the thing. If somebody had gone to that church like a year before, and she, and she was up there leading worship, and here she was anointed, and, and you could feel the anointing. She had a beautiful singing voice. Her and her husband up there ministering, and, and they would see that. And then could you imagine that same couple maybe left the church for whatever reason, not bad, but maybe they were just going somewhere else, and they were walking through an area of town, and they saw this woman half-dressed with somebody. It's not her husband living like this. They would see this woman thinking, my God, what, what happened? But here's the sad part about this. Jesus said to Kenneth Hagin, you see, she doesn't want me anymore. Jesus continued, if she had been overly tempted or in a fit of temptation or a rage or something like that, he said, I would overlook that and forgive her, you know. But it wasn't like that. The Lord said she knew what she was saying and she meant it. And Kenneth Hagin said, I was looking at that woman in the vision and that black dot in her head he said, sadly, I saw it sink down into her heart. And now she had been possessed with that thing. And it seemed to control her only by her own permission. She opened the door. She never repented until it got to this point. God even sent somebody to her. So it's sad, but guys, I'm telling you, River of Life, Please don't let this happen to you. However, this story would unfold in different people's lives. Don't entertain thoughts in your mind that you know are not of God. Be careful. Don't go back and regress to old things that God's delivered you out of. Amen? If you feel the temptation, rebuke it. If you struggle or something, come to church and get prayer, but don't regress. Don't even start down the path. Because I can't tell you how many people, and it so deeply grieves me. I remember telling a friend of mine who's a minister, I said, it so grieved me how many people I've seen come through River of Life through the years, over the last decade or so, powerfully touched by God, hear the truth, and I see God doing the work, and then now they're out living in sin. I said, how does this, and, and the guy told me, he said, Pastor, don't be discouraged. It's happening everywhere, and it's a sign of the times. 
is true. Every minister is seeing that, and it is a sign of the times. But don't let it be you. And so this is the last thing. I just want to give a little bit of advice as we're, we're going to pray. But obviously in this, you can see, don't entertain the devil's thoughts. Whatever it is, unforgiveness, maybe it's lusts, maybe it's things about uh, past things you've come out of. Don't entertain evil thoughts because as you entertain them, something can really start affecting your mind. And the Bible says, as a man thinks, so he is. And so pretty soon, it also start coming out of your mouth. Also, guard your heart. Keep it pure. Let me just say this. Many of you have come to River of Life, and God's done a work in your life. And therefore, consequently, the Holy Spirit has given you some godly convictions. Guard those convictions. God doesn't change. If you start feeling, oh, it's no big deal, <laughs> God didn't change. He didn't change his mind about it. Something's working on you to try to get you to change. Guard your godly convictions. I know I've said this many times, but it fits right here. I have been shocked and deeply grieved. I was talking to Brother Ralph yesterday. He said the same thing. I've been shocked at how many people were so touched in the 90s revivals, just like me, that some of them aren't even in church today. Others, their godly convictions they had back then, they're gone. What happened? This type of stuff happened. Regression happened. They started going back to their old stuff. Once they were touched for a little while, that's fine. But they didn't go all the way through Gilgal and all the way through Bethel and let God really do the work. They just simply got touched. It was exciting, caught up with the moment. They should have laid on the altar a little bit longer and let God finish that in them. Then on the other side of it, even though revival in the 90s may have waned in the 90s, it wouldn't have waned in them. Stay faithful to the Lord and your family. Don't make decisions in the heat of a moment that can ruin the rest of your life. I've seen people do things, stupid stuff, and then pretty soon because of that stupid decision that they may regret the rest of their life, it can destroy their marriage, their home, ruin the lives of their children. Don't make a decision that's going to mess up your life. Be careful what you speak. Just like that woman, when she said that out loud, something happened in her. Be careful what you say, because it can empower the enemy or it can empower the things of God. If we're quoting scripture, it is releasing holy angels on assignment. It's releasing God's will. But once you start speaking what the devil's saying, be careful what you speak over yourself. Be careful with all this grumbling and complaining and negative garbage. You don't realize what you're doing. If you could see in the spirit realm how much that's really actually affecting your health and your mental health and your emotional health, you wouldn't be doing it. Be careful. Have you ever noticed when you're under attack that something really tries to mess with your tongue? Have you ever noticed that? If you're not careful, you'll just start just griping and being negative. That's not an accident. The enemy knows that your mouth can really open the door to him. 
and can create all kinds of problems. He's trying to get your mouth to do that. That's not an accident. It's not just happening because you're upset. That's the enemy trying to use your own tongue against you. Be careful. And let me say a couple quick things is backsliding can be very subtle. Just like I said, a, a godly conviction that you've had starts waning a little bit. You don't think anything of it. Six months later, that godly conviction is completely gone, and now the enemy's working on the next one. And it's so subtle that you didn't even know it happened. You can wake up a year later and realize, I am not even the same person that I was a year ago. What happened to me? I used to be so on fire for God. What? I promise you that there was a regression, a suppression. It went down, 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 and that's what happened. The enemy did it. The battleground many times is the mind and the emotions. God wants all of our emotions, all of our affections, all of our desires primarily, number one, that he's number one. Just be careful. And so the next 100 days or so, this is just for River of Life between now and around November the 4th. I just want to challenge River of Life for the next couple months, about the next 100 days or so. I want to challenge River of Life because the Lord's warning about warfare. Just spend some time daily praying in the Spirit. I want to challenge you. How many will accept the challenge? Spend some time every day praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues. I want to challenge you to go deeper in your personal prayer life than you ever have and ask the Lord to help you. Lord, take me deeper. Go on maybe a partial thing between you and God. Maybe nobody knows but your spouse. Some kind of a partial fasting if you're not already doing because I know some people are. But ask, ask the Lord, what could I maybe give up some things over the next 100 days? I mean, we got to eat, but I mean, just some, some things here and there. What could I give up as a partial fast like Daniel that I could go deeper in my prayer life, my personal time of fasting. And I want to challenge you to begin to pursue this on your own. Pursue a personal revival that you've never had. See, the enemy wants to show up and attack, but I'm telling you before it happens, go deeper in Christ. Because as you go down deeper in Christ, whatever the enemy tries to do is going to pass right over you. Pursue a personal revival like you've never known in your life. Lord, take me deeper in my prayer life. Take me deeper in the word of God that I'll, I'll learn things I've never known. Give me a hunger for your word. Give me a greater hunger, a passion, and a fire than I've ever had. It'll show up in your praise and worship. It'll show up at home. Lord, set me ablaze like I've never burned before. And also, I would say, remember the courtroom as you really pray and go deep in Christ and repent of anything God shows you in the courtroom, go before the Lord as a judge and say, Lord, give me vindication. The enemy has stolen some things. The enemy's damaged some things. I'm asking you for justice that everything that's been stolen be restored many times over. Begin to go in the courtroom and God will give you the land. Begin to take the land. Begin to drive your, the enemy out of your land. I know tonight was a little bit different, and some of that probably a little bit shocking there, but 
I wanted you to know about it. I wanted you to be aware of satanic strategies, how the enemy operates. See, you don't see these things with your natural eye, but you see the result of them. Many of you know people that used to be close to the Lord in River of Life that are away from him today. What happened? An imp came and sat on their shoulder, began to put thoughts in their mind. They began to be tempted. They began themselves to yield to it and regress backward, and now they've worked all the way down to where they are. This pattern has happened over and over. Don't think that it can't happen to you, but just be aware of it and don't let it happen. Because just like the woman in the vision, it only happened because she allowed it. She didn't have to put up with it. So Lord, we just thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for all that you're doing in us. We're hungry. And Lord, I'm praying for River of Life and those that are listening. Lord, I'm asking you over these next 100 days, it's like a focus. I'm asking you, Lord, for every one of us to take us deeper in Christ than we've ever been. Lord, I'm asking you will be more hungry and on fire than we've ever been in our lives, that we ourselves will go deeper in prayer than we've ever been, go deeper in the Word of God. Lord, that we will be the witness we need to be. Lord, that we'll be so hungry and on fire like we've never been. Lord, it'll be a totally, uh, just a radical personal revival on each person and collectively. Lord, that we'll go to a place spiritually like that that we've never been in our lives. Not just some past move in our lives. No, we're asking for the greatest move of God in our lives than we've ever had. And Lord, we believe you for it, we expect it, and we thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Let's go ahead and shut down recordings. Oh.